Okay, class, here's a pop quiz. Be careful because it's a little bit of a trick question. What do you have to do in order to be saved? Well, that's actually the same question that a desperate man asked many years ago. Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. Salvation is first and foremost about what God has already done. You cannot be saved without doing something in response to what God has done. If you do not do something, you will not be saved. If you do the wrong thing, you will not be saved. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Here on Resonate, we're finishing up a series called Lift Up Your Eyes. That phrase has served as a year-long theme here at Harvest Granger. Pastor Trent has taken us to several passages in the Bible where God encourages us to lift up our eyes. In Acts chapter 16, we see how Paul and Silas were looking for ways that they could share Christ with others. A wealthy businesswoman named Lydia, a demon-possessed girl, and last week, we started hearing about a jailer in Philippi. Paul and Silas had come to Greece as a direct result of a vision from God, but now they were locked in a jail and had just been rocked by a devastating earthquake. Today, we'll hear some highlights from last week's message, and then we'll continue on. Here's Pastor Trent. If you remember, we looked at two characters in the story. We've seen the rich girl, Lydia. We've seen the poor girl, Linda. We nicknamed her Linda. We don't know her name, but we we named her Linda just so we could refer to her. Guess who we're going to meet this week? We're going to meet Larry. Larry is the next one in the story, okay? Now, we, we don't know his name. We're going to nickname him Larry, but Larry is in the story. Here it is. We're, we're picking a story up in verse 19. They seized Paul and Silas, the missionaries, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Now, I would like to suggest that that is our assignment from the Lord as a church. Now, we're not going out there to try to annoy people, but we are trying to disturb the despair and in place of it, put hope. We are trying to disturb the darkness and into it shine light. That is our job. Verse 21, and the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off. Gave orders to beat them with rods. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering Larry, the jailer guy, to keep them safely. As you're looking for red apples and running into green apples, there's five people you need to be looking for. First of all, you need to look for someone who has had an encounter with an authentic Christian. Now, I want you to notice here, 
Paul and Silas, they're beaten, they're bruised, they're bloody. Their feet are in stocks. It's late at night. They're probably exhausted. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Look at what the next phrase says. And the prisoners were listening to them. Do you understand that the way you're acting, the way you're singing, the words you're using are giving people an idea of what a relationship with God is like. Live in light and in view of the fact that the prisoners are listening to us and they are watching us. Let's give them a reason to believe that we are different because we suffer well. Here's the second thing. Look for someone whose foundations are being shaken. Imagine if you're Paul and Silas. Earthquake, foundations shaken, chains fall off, prison doors open, what would you do? Thank you, Jesus. I was praying that you would send an earthquake to set me free. That's not what Paul and Silas did. In the previous verse, they lifted up their eyes vertically, but then those vertical eyes gave them missional eyes to the people around them, and they had a heart for the jailer. They had a heart for the prisoners. They realized the prisoners were listening. They said, hey, what if this earthquake was not sent to set us free, What if the earthquake was sent to set Larry free? Maybe the Lord's doing something to get his attention. Look for someone whose foundations are being shaken. Look for someone, number three, who thinks he's out of options. Look here at verse 27. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he said, "Uh uh-oh, All of a sudden, this guy who had a very stable, steady, secure life and occupation is ready to kill himself because he thinks he's out of options. Now, I want you to notice here, he wasn't out of options, and what he assumed was not true. If you ever meet somebody, or maybe you have even thought about killing yourself, it is probably because you are assuming some things that are not true. I mean, your view is off. What you think is reality is not reality. You think you're out of options, but you're not. And that was the case for Larry. If he had just, he might have killed himself and the prisoners would woke up in the morning, they're still in jail. It would have been a useless act. It's always a useless act to kill yourself. But in his case, what he believed was not actually true. And if you're there and and you feel so dark and you're in a place of loneliness and hopeless and you think you're out of options, you're not out of options. It's just that you haven't seen correctly what the Lord is trying to do to get you to a better place. And so he's about to kill himself. He's fearful. He's trembling. Look down here at verse 28. It says, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We're all here. Verse 29, and the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Can you see the change that's happened in this guy's life? 
strong, steady, secure, stable. Now he's trembling in fear and he actually goes to seek advice from a criminal. Only the Lord can do that. The Lord was using this whole situation to ripen him to the gospel. And so he begins to ask the right question. As a matter of fact, that's the fourth point. Look for someone who's asking the right questions. So here's the question that he asked in verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a great question. Now, the person that you're talking to may not ask that question. Now, hopefully they'll eventually ask that question. Maybe they're asking the questions like, uh, in, in a general sense, like, where did I come from? Where did we come from? Where did all this come from? If there's a creation, there's a creator. If I see design in the world, that would lead me to believe there is a designer. So who is he? What is he like? How can I know him? Those are questions that people ask. So where did I come from? Secondly, um, why am I here? Do I have purpose? Do I have meaning in life? Where am I going? What happens after this life? Those are great questions. When you find somebody asking those types of questions, or maybe you can help them understand that life really does boil down to those three questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Everybody struggles at some point with those questions. But the final question they need to ask is this. How do I get out of this alive? What must I do to be saved? Now that's the right question. The entire Bible is written to answer that question. Maybe a better way to phrase the question from the Bible's perspective is this. What has God done to save guys like Larry the Jailer guy? What has God done to save dirty, rotten sinners? And the entire Bible is an answer to that question. Now, it's really important to understand the perspective here. Of course, a green apple is going to ask the question, what must I do? What must I do? Show me what I got to do and I'll do it in order to be saved. Now listen, my greatest fear is that there are people that came to church this morning, our church, other churches in our community, that in coming to church, they thought that in some way that was going to contribute something that they did to be saved. Not only did they come, they put some money in the plate, they uh, sang some songs, they prayed some prayers, and they acted better on Sunday morning than they did the rest of the time of the week. And somehow there were some things I did. God, did I do enough? That's another question people are, have I done enough to be saved? That's another way to ask this question. If you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. You hear that? There is nothing you can do to save yourself. Now listen. 
there is something you must do to be saved. He said, what, and you just, didn't you just, there is nothing you can do to save yourself. There is something you must do to be saved. There are two errors you have to avoid. Here's the first error, is to think there is something you can do to save yourself. That's ditch number one. But the other ditch is just as bad to think I don't have to do anything to be saved because there's nothing I can do to save myself. Do you understand the difference? Listen, salvation is first and foremost about what God has already done. God has already done everything He's going to do to secure salvation for those who believe. And so if you think that somehow being nice, being sweet, showing up at church, doing something good, not kicking your cat, and apologizing to your mother-in-law is going to get you any points in heaven, you are wrong. God is the one who must open the hearts. Do you remember Lydia? Her heart was closed and she was doing a lot of religious stuff and yet the Lord opened her heart. God has to open blind eyes to see things that you are unable to see spiritually. That is a work of God. It is God who gives life to spiritually dead people. Listen, a lost person is as capable of saving himself as a corpse is of crawling out of a casket. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. Have I made that point abundantly clear? But there's another ditch. Because some of you are sitting back there passively and it's like, well, okay, I guess God just does it all. There is something you must do to be saved. This guy asked the question, does Paul and Silas, do they look back at the guy and say, there is nothing you can do to save yourself? Is that what they said? No, they told him he had to do something. Look at verse 31. It says, and they said, believe. There's a command, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. Do you understand everyone in the scripture who got saved did something? You cannot be saved without doing something in response to what God has done. If you do not do something, you will not be saved. If you do the wrong thing, you will not be saved. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We are looking for someone who is willing to trust Jesus as Lord. This word saved, it means safe. Are you safe? What must I do to be safe? Safe from what? Namely, safe from God who has been angered at my sin. Is there anything to keep me safe from the wrath of God? Is there anything to keep me safe from the consequence of my sin? Is there anything to keep me safe from hell? Those are important questions. 
And the answer is believe. Now, again, when we see the word believe, the English word just doesn't communicate what the scripture is trying to communicate here. Probably a better English word would be to rely upon, depend upon, put your full trust and weight on something or someone, namely in this verse, the Lord Jesus, to believe. Now listen, everybody here is a believer in something to save yourself. The question is, are you believing on the right thing? For those of you that are steady and secure and stable, it is really hard for you to believe that you need something else other than yourself and your money, and your nice family, and your religious heritage, and your church membership to save you. It's really hard to stop believing that. And it creates this false sense of belief that I am right with God when you are not. That's why you need the spiritual earthquake to shake your foundations, to shake the foundations of your religious, self-made righteousness. And when God sends the earthquake, you realize you, you, you can't believe in that anymore because it's not working for you. And you must start believing in the Lord Jesus. That doesn't mean you believe that he existed. History books tell us he exists. It means you believe on him instead of yourself to save you to make you safe before God the Father. Why? Because what Christ did on the cross was absorbed God's anger so that you could be safe from the anger of God. Are you saved? Are you safe? Because you have believed on the Lord Jesus. A lot of people look at this verse and they say, well, that's, that doesn't sound too hard. Just believe on Jesus. That's not what it says. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus. The word Lord is essential to salvation. I've met people that, as I've tried to talk to them about giving their lives to the Lord and being born again, they'll say to me something like this, oh, oh, that, that, that's not a problem. I, I, I've accepted Jesus as Savior. I just haven't accepted him as Lord yet. What? If you were to invite me over to your house for dinner... And you were to say, we, we really want to invite the preacher over for dinner, but we don't want any men to come. <laughs> I can't come. Why? Because you're a man. No, we want the preacher to come. No men allowed. You're, I, you don't understand. I am, I am a male preacher. They're inseparable. Do you understand? You can't just invite the parts of Jesus you want and reject the part you don't. If you say, I want him as Savior, you must say, I want him as Lord. Jesus refuses to save those he cannot command. And if you refuse him as Lord, he will refuse to save you. The only hope you have of being saved is submitting yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you understand this happens at a Point, there's a point you stop believing in yourself. There's a point you start believing in Jesus as Lord. 
I've told you if you've been around for a while, um, I didn't grow up going to church. I got saved as a 15-year-old in 1982. And um, I had this really persistent Sunday school teacher that really wanted to see me saved. And so he kept calling and he kept pestering me. And, and he said, oh, Trent, this is a perfect opportunity. There is a citywide evangelistic crusade coming to our town. We're going to meet every night at the rodeo arena. It was Oklahoma. It's the best we could do. The rodeo arena. And we're all going to meet there. And, and there's going to be this. You, you, you just got to come. And so I'm like, ah, you put him off. You make excuses, you know. So it was Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. He called me on Wednesday and said, Trent, you're never going to believe what happened on, on Tuesday night. The pastor's wife got saved. Now, my first thought is, why did the preacher marry somebody that's not saved? But then I, I, I knew who this lady was. Her name was Gloria. Gloria was the sweetest, most wonderful, nicest person in the whole city. Everybody knew Gloria. And yet on Tuesday night, she realized that she believed in her sweetness to save her. She'd grown up in church, been in church all of her life, knew the gospel better than anybody, but she had never stopped believing in her religious self-made sweetness and started believing in the Lord Jesus. So he's telling me the story. He's like, I want to come. No, I don't come with that thing. Preacher's wife getting saved. I mean, if glory is not saved, none of us are saved, you know? It's like, <laughs> crying out loud, what's going on down there? He called me back on Thursday, and he said, you're never going to believe what happened on Wednesday night. The youth pastor got saved. The youth pastor? Why is the church hiring a lost Youth pastor. I mean, they should, that at least should be on the, the job requirements that you should hire a saved youth pastor. I was like, yeah, he was, he, he was doing the same thing. I mean, he, he, he's trusting in his ministry and his Bible knowledge and his great effectiveness and his persuasive speech. But he'd never surrendered his life to Jesus as Lord. You want to come? Uh-huh, I'm coming to that thing. Finally, he wore me down. Saturday night, I went and I got saved. Now, the next morning, I was baptized along with 71 other people in our church who had to admit we'd been trusting ourselves to save us. We'd never trusted Christ as Lord. What, are the, what was the evidence of this guy getting saved? Look at it down here in verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And so he, he brought these guys to his house. I'm like, you got to listen to this guy. This, this guy's going to tell you something I, I'm not able to tell you. In verse 33, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Who had caused the wounds? He had. One of the evidences is that Christ is Lord is you are willing to go back and repair the damage you have caused by your sin. The wounds that were opened, you want to go back and heal. It was evidence that Christ was now Lord. It says next that he was baptized. He, he, he didn't have this private thing going on between him and Jesus. He wanted the world to know publicly, I'm with that guy. He is my new Lord. He's my new master. He's my new boss. And, and all of his family 
Never underestimate the influence of a changed father, a changed husband to change the direction of his family. Men, do you understand how powerful your influence is? Do you understand that once there is change in your life and there's a humility to say, you know what, I'm tired of acting so strong and stable and secure. I've had a spiritual earthquake. I need something other than myself to save me. It's Jesus. Would you come with me? You see, once he lifted up his eyes to the Lord, he immediately lifted his eyes to his family and he became a missionary to his family. It goes on in verse 34. He brought them up to his house and set food before him and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Listen, an hour ago, this guy was suicidal. Now he has a holy happiness and he's singing and praising God with Paul and Silas. Has that kind of change happened to you? The reverberations from what happened to me and those other people in that week have reached in places all over the world, in Asia and remote parts of America, like Granger, Indiana. Are you safe? For some of you, this message was to get your eyes on those that need the gospel. They're waiting on a missionary to come and share with them. For others of you, the reality is you walked in here as a green apple. My prayer is you're going to walk out of here as a red one. Are you like Larry? Have you ever had your foundation shaken so that you saw your sin, your need for Christ? Maybe you've been religious. Maybe you've said you've been saved, but the reality is You've never trusted Christ as Lord. There's never been changes like this guy happen in your life. Why don't we change that today? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Respond to what God has done. Embrace Christ for forgiveness of sin. Why don't you open up the, your heart right now and just say, Lord, I choose to stop believing in my self-righteousness and start believing in your sacrificial atoning death on the cross for me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. Well, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, would you contact us and let us know? You can go to harvestgranger.org slash resonate. And at the bottom of that page, it says, send us a message. Just tell us that you prayed along with Trent Griffith here today. It'd be a great encouragement to us. Again, find where it says, send us a message on our website, harvestgranger.org slash resonate. Well, if you're not already attending a solid, Bible-believing, Jesus-exalting church, you're welcome to visit us at Harvest Bible Chapel. For more information about our service times and locations, just go to harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. Well, do you believe in the power of prayer? I hope you do. In fact, it's one of our church's four pillars. We believe in the power of prayer. 
Next week, Pastor Trent starts a new series on Resonate that will take us well into the summer. It's a series titled Simply Pray. I hope you'll join us then. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.